Our podcast, the Kosher Sommelier Podcast, is sponsored by Liquid Kosher. Liquid Kosher is a curated wine experience for those seeking quality kosher wines that are vetted by wine experts. That wine expert being me. We have relationships with family-owned wine producers around the world, our partner winemakers, and we are sourcing excellent wines that come direct to consumer through our website. The best and the most exciting feature of Liquid Kosher is our Cellar Wine Club, which is a quarterly subscription that opens the door to rare and limited production, limited allocation wines. Join us, join the club, get a club box. We will feature some of the world's most exciting and interesting kosher wines that are produced only by family-owned wineries that are really punching above their weight. So I invite you personally to come and enjoy the Liquid Kosher selection and the Cellar Wine Club of liquidkosher.com. Please check us out. This is the Kosher Sommelier Podcast. I'm Andrew Breskin, the Kosher Sommelier. Each show, we will discover some of the amazing stories and personalities in the world of wine. Wine tasting, wine making, fine dining, and one of my favorite subjects, the wine business. So pour yourself a glass and enjoy the conversation. So in this episode, we are hosting my good friend and colleague, Jason Berry of Amitié Wines. And Jason is a former legal professional got the burgundy bug, as you will hear, and then we will track his story through the wine business and also through burgundy and the love of burgundy itself and why burgundy is such a meaningful region for wine lovers and why I like to say all paths lead to burgundy. Pay special attention to just some ideas about how to really appreciate wine tasting and and understand about how to get to the point of really digging into a region in depth and what those tips and tricks are to get to wine loving expertise. Also valuable information about what it takes to be a trusted professional in the wine industry and how to build your reputation to the point where people are calling you. Okay. Wonderful. We're here with my good friend, Jason Berry, and I'm going to kind of introduce you and then you can introduce you. I think that we both kind of came into the wine business around the same time-ish, forever ago, doing uh, importing and sort of uh, stumbling and bumbling our way through the paperwork and the process and the logistics and and whatever from taking a, uh, a passion for sourcing wine and, and uh, sort of figuring out how that's going to work and finding good product and turning it into a business model. And now uh, you're a full-on, full-time, highly exclusive and sought-after uh, importer of Burgundy and Champagne and some other stuff here and there. And great to talk to you today. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you just sort of do a little bit of a better intro than my uh, hatch job about you know how you got into the wine business and what the trajectory has been since you got started until this point. Okay. Um, like you said, we started uh, about 10 years ago. I think it was 10 years in this past June. Uh, it was born out of a love of Burgundy, um, the place, the people, obviously the wine. Um, about 13, 14 years ago, the company I worked for, because I was not previously in the wine industry, 
uh, sent me to Norway, to Oslo, um, in the end of October. And they said, if we're sending you to, you know, Norway in you know, almost in wintertime, please take a weekend on us within reason and we'll reimburse you for it. So I'm like, well, my wife's like, first of all, she says, I'm going to Oslo with you. I'm like, sure. Um, <laughs> and then, then she's like, well, you've never been to France. So let's go to France. And I uh, went down to Paris. Um, we decided we're in France. Let's go to a wine region and decided upon spending a couple days in Burgundy. Uh, loved it. So the next year I wanted to go back and spend a week there. And so we spent a week there, fell even more in love with it. And uh, at that point, uh, I got back from that trip and friends that were wine friends that were in tasting groups together out of Arizona, um, they had one of their friends fall out of their trip of 10 people going and doing hardcore tasting. But I think it was like 24, 25 visits within a week. Um, and so an opening came up and I'm like, I'm going to go back. I want to go try it more. Um, went back, went through that tasting and was just absolutely in love with Burgundy. Like I said, the people, the place, the food, everything that, um, surrounds it. Uh, my wife makes fun of me a little bit. I'm originally from Midwest and I find a lot of the Midwest characteristics in Burgundy, the same ones as that I grew up with. Um, the people can be a little bit quiet, can a little bit, um, not as in welcoming at first, but once you get to know them, they are just lovely people and very welcoming and very warm. That's super interesting. So let me just ask you, so you, you went from never having been to France or wine region to sort of just, how did you randomly choose Burgundy from all like the wine places and wine trips that you could have gone to from Paris? It was in all honesty, it, it was probably a mistake. Um, and a good mistake. The idea behind it was, is that we don't have a ton of time in France. So we wanted to go someplace that was relatively convenient to get to. Well, ultimately, I don't know if back then, again, this was 12, 13 years ago. I don't know if back then it was, they didn't have the high speed, the Bordeaux. But right now, if we, if you, somebody flew over there, so they got two days, I need to go see a wine region. I would suggest going to Bordeaux because it's a lot easier to take the TGV down there than to or take even champagne. Here. Yeah. Or, or champagne, uh, then to take it to um, Dijon and then take the, the the local train down from Dijon down to Bone. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Chance would have it. Yeah, exactly. So I think it was like almost, you know, meant to be at that, you know, looking back on it. The uh, But from that, um, it was a couple of years of trying to figure out how to turn that passion into profession um, from from that initial few trips, three trips that we did. Now I've been over there, I don't know, 20 times, I think. I go about twice a year. So prior to your mega tasting experience in Burgundy, um, aside from your visits there, like what was your what would you say was your general wine tasting um ability or comfort level and also specifically with Burgundy? Prior Before to going to Burgundy, I, I was at the first time. Um, on the work trip, the, I would say my, my knowledge base of Burgundy was limited, um, very limited at that point. I was most likely, if I remember serves me correctly, drinking mostly domestic wines, um, not really a ton of, of international wines, more or less between that, that first trip and that third trip with the big, huge tasting trip, 
that's where my my love and knowledge base started to grow was during that period of time i went into as i said um you know i knew of burgundy because i knew to go there the first time but it wasn't one of the places in which i had a huge um, knowledge base of and I, and to this day i still even though i import I've been there you know two dozen times or however many it's been i still know that there's so much more to learn just scratching the surface on it and that's part of the exciting part about burgundy what was it that because i i deal with a lot of people who perhaps have never had french wine or mostly drinking uh california or california style wine like what was it like the was it a specific wine or was it a specific like sensation or experience aside from just being there which i think makes everything taste good um like what was actually the tipping point for you because burgundy you know from a cab or, or even from like any sort of a California Pinot, it, there's an extra dimension and there's an extra um, complexity that you can't explain until you start tasting it. But for you, like what was that that just sort of said, wow, this is something that I'm going to have to, you know, buy a lot more bottles, dedicate some time to reading, et cetera. Like what was like that moment for you? Well, I think it's everything you said during this time period, it was still the parkerization of a lot of wines, whether it be in California, Napa or in Bordeaux at the time. Um, so I think what it was is that it was the lightness on its feet. It was the depth of flavor. It was just the how it spread across your palate. And it wasn't just a heavy weight on your palate um, and just it. it it just spoke to me in those regards, I guess, um, where it wasn't to me, a lot of during that period of time, a lot of the Napa cabs and, and Bordeaux were, were a little one note, um, meaning that they were, you know, higher in alcohol. They were a little bit, you know, a lot of fruit where this one, you had the fruit, but you had the minerality, you had, you had everything. And the balance I think was the biggest part to it. Um, it was just really, um, it was very eye opening compared to what was common, at that time, at least of what I was drinking and what was in the marketplace. Yeah, I get that a lot. Um, and I experienced that a lot too. I think that, you know, Burgundy is a great wine that, um, you know, I rarely have wine without food. Like I'm not usually going to have a glass of something. If I'm on the patio, it's probably going to be beer or, you know, a cocktail or whatever, or like a white wine that maybe it is not, you know, terribly complex, but, um, I find it hard to pair wine with uh, or food with wine that is like, you know, heavy in the oak, heavy in the juicy, goopy cola type of a fruit. And Burgundy, you know, has a lot of nuance that actually I had some 15s from um, from Pomard and, and Environs that were a little bit heavy and dense that were surprising. So kind of tucked those in the back of the cellar for for the time being. But um Pairing wise, I think that it's it's much easier to pair lighter, medium, you know, bodied wines with food than with uh, heavier wines. You you get away from only being able to pair the stuff with um, you know big punks of protein like steak, like this typical Cabernet and steak. Um, you get to do you know your chickens, your your maybe your salmon, your your fishes that are a little bit richer, and so on and so forth. So it does open the door a lot more with pairing. Um, Pinot and Burgundy with different types of food. So it does allow that menu to be broader. Yeah, for sure. So you come back from this mega experience and you're like, I got to do something about 
getting into the wine business or um, figuring out how to, you know, bring this experience that you had in wine country in Burgundy um, uh, with the people and the culture and sort of bottling that and bringing it back to the States. Um, so what was your thought process there? How are you going to do it? And what did you end up doing? So I haven't told the, the, the whole story very often, but the, the original story was that we wanted to create a label. It wasn't instantaneous after that last, that third trip. But what did happen is, is that over time, we were my wife and I were talking about how we can turn this passion into a profession. Um, and it took some time, a couple of years, kind of mull over how we can do this. I was introduced to a winemaker um, in Burgundy, and we were going to um, we, we, we were going to make wine just to try it, see what we could do, see if we could build a label. And ultimately, it was a year in which many years nowadays, like nineteen and twenty, where they got hit with everything. And there just was no, there were no grapes to buy, no extra grapes to buy, especially not being on, you know, being unknown and not the, the, um, the people who were selling it. Um, they, they didn't know us, so they weren't going to go out on a limb to give us grapes when they already didn't have enough for their regular weather wise. It was, it was restricted to what was available. Was it a drought or was it hail that year? Do you remember? I think they got hit with everything that year. Um, it would have been, was it 2000 and, 2013 I, I forget which year it was that which vintage it was that we were looking at the to make ultimately then carrie and i were sitting on swami's watching our kids swami's beach here in encinitas uh, watching our kids uh play in the ocean and i thought you know why don't we switch this we had a secondary plan of then having an import company it's like why don't we flip them and do the import company and ultimately with doing that we um did research from European writers, critics, reviewers, and we did it with the European side because the idea was is that, let's say, Meadows from Berghound, if he was writing about them, they were probably already here or in the pipeline for somebody to bring over here. So we did, did a short list of who we wanted to talk to that kind of fit what our mindset was and how we wanted to work and was making quality products from what we could read. Because at the time, there was... 3,000 people making wine in Burgundy. Um, of those 3,000, only 600 of them were having their products imported into the United States. So that was telling me that there's 80% at that time that were not making it over here. Why, why is that? And that doesn't even include the ones that are making it to the East Coast and not making it to California. So why is that? And the people that I started to focus on are uh, small family um, wineries, domains, um, and negotiants that are making a great product um, that may not make the quantities in which will make them accessible to some of the larger importers. And I think that's where we found a lot of these diamonds in the rough, whether it be with Champagne or Burgundy, both. Um, and that's sort of what our idea was. So made the shortlist, went over, um, tasted, uh, then started to work with uh, the people that we thought would be a good fit. And that first year, um, we brought in a whole whopping 232 and a half cases of wine. <laughs> that was, I mean, if you think about a business model, that's not the best business model. But Well, I, I can tell you, I mean, personally, and also you, know, you and I having shared some warehouse space back then, I mean, 200 cases when you just start and you're writing checks, um, 
and you're you're going into the bank and doing transfers into euros. I mean, two hundred cases is still a lot, like from nothing. And it, yeah, no, it is. It is a lot. The, we weren't expecting even to do that much, but after you started tasting, it was hard to say no to certain things. And it's like, well, I kind of want that. We don't bring in the entire portfolio of everybody we work with still. Um, a lot of times it's allocated out. A lot of times it just doesn't make financial sense to sit there and bring smaller amounts of 12, 15 different bottlings. But that's where we kind of it went. I wasn't even expecting to bring in that many. Um, the 232 and a half. Uh, but a wine, started, country, uh, wine country yeah. does things to people. <laughs> exactly. It's like the same thing. You go up to Napa East. So I'll get a couple of bottles. You come back with a few cases. Yeah. Well, I think you alluded to this before um, when you're talking about trying to buy grapes to make wine, that it's very, the culture and the community over there is very insular that, you know, if you're an outsider, they're not, even if they have fruit, they may not sell to you or, or they'd rather deal with someone they know um you know it's it's not it's not like in um in california where you go in the classifieds and you want to buy a ton of cabernet and make something i mean it's very uh you have to know someone you have to have a connection how did you break in to the community in burgundy so that you could start you know um even getting these guys to pick up the phone or answer emails because i know um from my own experience you know with with the working in France, like sometimes like if they don't know you or if, if they don't know someone who knows you, they're not even going to write back. They're not even going to pick up the phone. Um, so I know that I, I've done it through like dumb luck, but what was your recipe to break into that very, very uh, close community? Well, there was some dumb luck involved, but I, the way I, cause now in Burgundy, um, we're, we'll, if something makes sense we'll add something like we're going to add a new producer but he's an assistant winemaker from one of our producers and he's really passionate about marcinet so we're going to be adding him it's small amount so but what we're, we're looking to do is um we're, we're expanding in champagne right now but to not um go too far down that road we're doing the same thing now that we had to do 10 years ago just in a different region and i kind of look at it as like getting married you first of all have to find somebody that you like, then you have to court them. And then at the end, you have to see well, done at the end of that courting period, both people have to decide whether or not they want to get married to each other. Um, I think it's going in and uh, telling people what you're trying to accomplish, why they, they would be a good fit for you, why you would be a good fit for them. Um, goes a long ways. Honesty. Um, everything's done with a handshake over there. It's not as, um, like I said, once you get to know them, they're very kind, trusting people, um, you know, as a, as a society, which they do business different there than what we do here. Um, but I, I, I think it's just going in and being honest with what you're trying to accomplish. And that goes a long ways. Also paying your bills on time. <laughs> that definitely, that definitely goes a long way. I think in any, uh, in any situation in the wine industry, uh, people paying, <laughs> on time ideally but paying it all i've had everybody i've worked with that we've had this everybody i've worked with that we've had this conversation with have all been burned by someone by importing and then not paying either doing first payment because the terms are usually first payment as you know first payment to pick up second payment half second half payment after 60 days and some people get a little too trusting and they don't well, don't have them do the first payment they don't get paid at all some of them 
um, get the first payment, don't get the second payment. I've heard that from a handful of people I've worked with. It's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, what would you say has been, and I can answer this for myself if you need a moment to think about it, but what would you say has been the, um, most surprising or, um, you know, shocking difference in the business practices between, um, over here and over there? Um, the biggest difference is, is that everybody, um, it's all handshake. It's all being good to one another in France. Um, here that you would want contracts, you'd want this, that, you know, it's just there. It's like, you do good by me. I'll do good by you type of, um, relationship. And being honest and, and being um, open to to everything. The one way I can explain it is, is that I have uh, one of the wineries I work with in France. I'd worked with them for a year. That was it. This was, we just had been working together. Now we've worked together for four years, but we were in our first year of working together. We had imported one time, one shipment from them. I can't remember what the amount, but it wasn't anything huge, but it was, you know, decent amount um somebody a big company import company out of the east coast came to them and said we want national and to those that don't know what that means that means what obvious what it means it's they want national distribution throughout the united states and this winemaker said to them you you can have national except california i'm already working with mita wines in california so you can have everything but there which with such a young relationship with somebody, a business, young business relationship with somebody, I found very striking. And I really love to tell that story because it kind of gives you an idea of what it is like doing business the majority of the time, or at least what I've experienced um, in France. That's a pretty crazy story. Yeah, no, I thought, and this was a very, and they are working with them throughout the um, rest of the United States. And it's a very well-regarded um, importer and distributor. So they basically um, stood their ground and said, "Like we're already working with uh, with your company, and yeah. they weren't going to kick you out for the sake of a national contract, which they ended up yeah. getting with the with the exception of your region." Right, exactly. So I, we still distribute them uh, in California, which is great. Uh, it's their it's wonderful wines, and and I'm very happy to be working with them. It's uh, hard to keep them in stock, so that's a good problem to have. Yeah, are you? still working with anyone that you started with, um, 10 years ago? Yeah. Um, we, we have added some and we've subtracted some all for different reasons. Um, none of them necessarily bad reasons. Um, but yeah, we still work with Mark Heisma and Andrew Nielsen at Le Grappon to our two negotiants. And then we also still work with Domaine Pierre Amio. And then since then we've added, um, Domaine Buisson Bateau. And uh, um, I like to tell a story about Domaine Buisson Bateau. Uh, the people we work with, we all find, we find them through what I want to say organic means. I don't mean like the farming practices. I mean, most of them are, but I mean, they don't, it's not like they take a box. We find them for a reason, or they, they find us for a reason, or we find them for a reason. Domaine Buisson Bateau, we were on our way. Uh, the whole family went over. We spent some time in Paris for spring break, and then we were going to Burgundy to um, for a meeting that I had. And 
um, I went across the street to the wine shop in Paris and brought back a bottle of wine, was talking with the gentleman that was running the place. He said, you should try this. I poured it for my wife and my wife says, I love this. You're going to need to find out if they're important to the United States. And if not, you're going to need to knock on their door. <laughs> so you can do some quick ways to try to find out, you know, whether or not they're in the U S you can um, check some import records and you can also just do a simple wine search or search, see if anybody's selling it in the United States. And I didn't find anything for them. So, um, we were in Chasson and I said to my wife, do you want to do the vineyard route or do you want to do the national route back to bone? And she goes, of course, vineyard route. And, uh, we found their thing, Domaine Buissant-Battelle. They have these long, um, little arrows at intersections that points in a general direction really is of no help at all. just kind of gives you a general direction. So we, I follow it. I drive up on their, um, their house. I'm sitting outside and I'm not really one of those people to just randomly knock on somebody's door. Uh, but then I see Francois, who I now know is Francois, come out the front door um, into his courtyard. Their gate was open and I'm like, okay, this is it. I got to go. So I <laughs> you, go in. you had your chance. Yeah. I, it, it, once again, it was it was kind of fate telling me that I needed to do this. And so I went in and I knocked on the door and he said, come back tomorrow. And I tasted it and I said, I'll buy whatever you'll sell me. And they're on a road called Rue de Novembre in the village of Merceau. And there's two of those road, two roads named either the same or similar. And Merceau's not that big. But GPS can never find it, and I can never find it on the first try. But that one time when I that when we stumbled upon it, that's the only time I've ever found it on the very first try, without getting a little lost in all these you know little roads in in the village of Merceau. That's uh, such a cool story. And then from yeah. there, the rest is history. How long ago was that? Uh, that would have been like eight years ago. It's seven. I have difficulty with timeline, especially after the last two and a half years about when was what, but. Uh, <laughs> That was seven or eight years. So we've been with them for most of our time together. Um, and then um, some of them, like um, Domaine Charlotte Pantissier, we found them because I'm friends with um, Jeremy Sace from Domaine du Jacques. And Jeremy's brother, Alec, is good friends with Jan, who's uh, the winemaker. He's Jan from Charlotte Pantissier. He's the winemaker. And uh, um, Jan was looking for representation in the United States. So he talked to Alec. Alec asked Jeremy. Jeremy thought of me. And that's kind of how we found each other. Um, so there's things like that. When you have somebody from like Domaine du Jacques recommending you or at least introducing you. Um, and the winemaker's mentor, Jean-Marie Fourier uh, from Domaine Fourier, you, you, kind of, you kind of take notice. And uh, um, so each one, each one of the people that we work with, um, there's a story like that or similar to that, that why we, why we found them or they found us. Yeah. And I, I think that um, what it comes down to is, you know, having, of course, you know, being there boots on the ground, you know, and having people see you, know, you interact with you, but when you have a good reputation and when you're easy to work with and when you're, you know, have that local knowledge, um, these little, you know, serendipitous things and, and, uh, connections and, and referrals just kind of happen naturally. And I think that's a product of both being in the business, um, for a long time. Um, and also just having people who are, are happy to send things your way. Um, we've had a couple of experiences like that where, you know, I, I started myself by just, uh, emailing 
cold, a, a winery that I saw a review of on um, on a message board back when people used uh, message boards. And, um, you know, I, I bought um, a few cases that were sent over on, um, I think it was called Wine Flight. It was like, a, cool. you know, the, it's like an importing service. Like if you bought stuff like, you know, in the wine store in Paris and you want to have it shipped back, so they'd, they'd ship it on a plane from Paris to San Francisco and then they'd UPS it down to you from uh, from there. And then from there I was like, okay, you know, and then I, I got permitting and I got, you know, an account with uh, Hillebrand and just started importing a little by little. And then from there, someone said, oh, like you should contact this guy and, you know, or, or my, uh, you know, I taste this wine. And I thought that, um, you know, they don't sell it in the States and maybe you want to try it and, you know, stuff like that. Just kind of, it builds and builds until people start sharing your phone number. And then before you know it, you have a whole portfolio. Yeah, we had a similar situation. We were um, eating, well, I mean, similar in the, the regards of, of just people listening to you, getting to know you, and and, uh, and then thinking of trying to help people get together um, and and work together. There was a sommelier at Racine's in Rents um, Champagne, and uh, I got to know, be friendly with him, uh, Alberto, and he's like, I have a friend that's making great champagne. Um, you should come down and taste it. And so I go and taste, and we went back and tasted multiple times. Um and, and I'll, I'll, after this story, I'll, I have another story about the same producer. But the uh, so we tasted many times. Finally, I was like, you know, just do a mixed palate for me and let's start the relationship. But the point of it is, is that you have somebody, a sommelier from, from the region, you get to know, and then he tells you, um, you know, somebody you should meet and the champagnes are wonderful. Um, and now, now we're doing business for the last like four years together, three years together. And, and, and it's a wonderful working relationship that we have with them. So there's all different ways in which you can, and word of mouth is definitely one of them. Um, and, uh, and it's very helpful in trying to find new people to work with. Yeah, for sure. Um, back to the wine itself. Um, what is the Jason Berry three-step plan for becoming a expert in burgundy wine for someone who i tell people like all my border drinkers like you know eventually you will get to burgundy and in kosher um there's not like that many burgundy wines and there's also it doesn't really happen where you'll stumble upon a producer who's making like you know burgundy that no one knows about then we'll just discover it like it's very you know front heavy meaning that you have to commission the blend or you have to commission the production you have to you know, choose a winery and have them choose you back um, and stage everything. And then in two years, you'll have a bunch of wine. But, you know, it's you can't like go out and source. You have to go out and commission, you know. Mm-hmm. So we have like limited, but, you know, slowly, you know, in, in five years, there'll be a lot more wine to go back and taste. But today it's sort of like in the infancy. Um, 2015 was a big year for um, new wine coming onto the scene and then 17, a bunch more and 19, even more. Um, and 21 will have even more kosher burgundies produced, but in a, in a situation where there's like not that much kosher burgundy, maybe 30 total, um, you think the strategy is just to buy every single bottle and taste it. (laughs) I mean, my, what I always tell people always say that burgundy seems very confusing and, 
it's it's because it's the village and then the vineyard and a lot of times the smallest thing is the domain's name on the label so it gets a little bit um, a little bit confusing sometimes and a little intimidating however my thing as far as somebody to be able to grow their tasting ability or their 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 knowledge base of the region is definitely go there and see it makes so the whole region itself and um to and i would go down to kosher wines too i mean if you said there's 30 people um or 30 different wineries making kosher wine in burgundy you'd have an opportunity to at least um taste i presume you know 10 of them or 12 of them over a, a week period of time but the biggest thing you gain out of it is you can see the coat you can see the hillside you can see why the, the combs, which are the valleys within the hillside, which allows the cool air to come through. And that's where the glaciers came and pushed the sediment in and why certain vineyards are more more um, prestigious than other vineyards. Uh, the biggest thing, all of a sudden, Burgundy will make sense to people um, if you go there and, and see it. Um, it's not just like, for me, Champagne is a little confusing. Um, uh the region itself, not not the, the wines, but Burgundy just kind of comes way into focus um, once you have an opportunity to visit. And then the other thing is just to taste. Um, taste as many of them as you possibly can to find out where your sweet spot is. What what village do you enjoy? Do you enjoy Gevrichamertan, which is a little bit, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, more masculine, more more rugged, or do you enjoy something like like Pomar that you, I'm sure you talked about before, where um, it's kind of be a little bit more rustic usually, just in general, um, a little bit more earthy. I mean, you can find where your flavor profiles are, and you can then from there um, even reduce what you who you like to drink or work with or whatever it is that goal you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I think in kosher you can probably knock out like every um, kosher production of burgundy that was ever made in three nights with with uh you know six people around the table uh can just knock out basically everything but i think it's a little bit of a shock for um many people when you're having a bunch of you know bordeaux's or or whatever else and then you taste something that to me it's it's half the viscosity but twice the flavor you know because it, there's a lot there's a lot more going on um and I just think that um, you know over time, and this is why collecting is like such a big thing. But the wine does a lot more of a change over time than I think any other wine. Would you agree with that? Or I mean, like compared to like, I think that a, a Burgundy after ten years tastes a lot different than a Bordeaux over ten years or a Napa Cab over ten years. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, you get a lot more of the secondary characteristics after 10 years and then obviously tertiary characteristics, um, you know, years and years after that. The the Burgundy to me is approachable young, but it doesn't really kind of get the depth of flavors until it gets a good half dozen to a dozen years. Um, and the flavor profile does change. A lot of the the fruit turns, um, it, it's not like it loses its fruit. It just evolves its fruit um, into more earthy type of characteristics. When I get something like a new wine that, you know, is is fresh vintage, you know, in a wood case or whatever else like that, like 
I always like to try it from the beginning, you know, even if it's like extremely young, because, you know, as you're saying, the fruit does evolve over time. But I think that for many people, you know, you're not really sure when you're beginning, you're not really sure. Like everyone likes to age wine because it's like a cool thing to do. I don't know if everyone knows if they like the taste of aged wine. And I don't know if they can gauge that unless they drink a wine when it's young and sort of watch that progression or experience that progression. Do you, I mean, you have to with work, but do you like when you're not just drinking um, to evaluate um, whether to buy something, but do you like to drink youthful wine with that sort of a flavor profile or for you at this point with your experience, is that like, like a missed up or a wasted opportunity? It's definitely not a wasted opportunity. I agree with you that it's good to check in through different periods of time. That's the reason why a lot of collectors, if economically possible, they say get a, you know, get a case of wine, a 12 bottles of wine, because that way you can check on it during different periods of its life. And then you can also then, your palate will tell you what how you like wine. I mean, do you like wine young? Do you like wine with medium age? Or do you like uh, older wine? And there is no right answer to that except to whatever it is that a person's, you know, personal preferences are. Uh, I do enjoy young wine. Um, what what I've done in the past, our distribution is a little bit different now because as we've grown, um, but I used to do everything myself. Um, and so I would self, I'd have storage here locally. Now we do storage up in one of the big storage places and distribution. They do the, they do the fulfillment up in, in outside of Napa. But when we had it all here, I would grab a bottle from each thing that was imported. So let's say we had 20 SKUs, um, imported in. Uh, and so I'd get them all on ice, have a barbecue and then open them up. And the reason why I would do it this way, and I would have people that were in the industry that weren't in the industry, just were friends, all kinds of people. So the reason why we did this is that way I could gauge the wines where they were at. Okay, this one is a little bit, a little bit, um, needs a little time. So we'll just set that one at, we won't show that one for a couple months um, and so on and so forth. Um, and so I would always check in on everything I imported early on for similar reasons that you were stating. So that way, or at least on a business sense, I could see where those wines are and see when, tell when they were in their sweet spot, especially for showing it to clients. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's actually really fun. I, I love to, um, I still get like a little bit of wine locally. And, uh, when it comes in, I was like, like rip through the plastic and like find the top box and then yank a bottle out of there. And, and, uh, and uh, usually, I mean, it, it, when it comes like right off the truck, it's at like a nice cellar temperature, you know, like 50-ish or whatever. So it's kind of fun to pop a bottle and, and see what it's doing right when it comes off the truck. Um, that's a lot of fun. It's a nice little ritual, you know. Yeah. It's, a, it's a fun little thing to do. That's um, one of the things I miss about not having the wines local. I do not miss moving the boxes. I do not miss <laughs> stacking the boxes. I do not miss trying to figure out how to get them to clients. And having uh, GSO lose them, but what I do, uh, I do miss is being able to see the product because that's that's you know otherwise it's just numbers on a and different sheets of paper. But I miss seeing it. I miss being able to pull something just like you said, just to be able to try say hey well, you know this is the fruits of the labor of doing this. Let's see where this is at. Just go. Let's pop. A yeah, bottle. and that's really that's really a great way of putting it. 
um, on the same topic, like how was your um, kind of off the burgundy thing, but um, how has your relationship with wine um, changed um, either for better or for worse um, as a wine lover or connoisseur um, now that you're in the business? It, it's changed in a couple ways. Um, I, I go over, like I said earlier, I go over twice a year. I see friends and I see people I need to work that I need to, that I work with. So the people I need to see, and then I'll see friends. Like I'll go taste at Domaine du Jacques, stuff like that. But I don't add on many other tastings anymore. Even if I'm there, there's a, usually there's a group of us that go at the same time of year that are all in the business, all there for our own businesses. And we kind of do our thing during the day, get together for dinners at night. So I often get invited to different tastings and I usually don't, even if I have the free time, I usually just don't go. That's one of the things. So that is different that I dislike about it. It's made it into a little bit of a business, but one of the things I do like about it is working with the people there, having a deeper relationship in, in, in Burgundy and champagne and also working with the people and, and, and honing my, my taste, what I like, um, that that's the part that I love. And the other part that I love about being in the business is my, my kids. Um, my, my kids have been to France, my daughter four times and my son five times. So being able to them see their eyes open to different areas of the world has been something that's been very um, satisfying for me and probably the number one best part of the business of getting into it. I don't do you know think they're going to, yeah. <laughs> do you see, uh, do you see them taking over one day or is any, uh, my daughter has no interest at all. My son, he just turned 13, uh, last month. Uh, so who, who knows where he'll be at? He, it's funny. There is a, a friend of mine who's in, he's a online retailer. And in 2019, my son who was 10 at the time, my friend and myself, all went on a burgundy tasting trip, champagne burgundy. So we went to champagne, burgundy, Jura, um, and then Germany because uh, we all had different meetings in different places. So it was, uh, and it was like three amigos going. It wasn't like, you know, two friends and one of the guy's sons. It was a lot of fun to uh, go. And he didn't slow us down. We had Michelin three stars and uh, a couple meals and, and he uh, handled it well. So it was who knows if he'll want to take it over. I think one minute he wants to, the next minute he wants to go be a fireman or something like that. Yeah. Well, uh, I think it's nice to have that balance between, uh, you know, rock star and, and, uh, S cargo on the weekends or <laughs> whatever. <Yeah>. Like that. <laughs> That's pretty neat. Um, yeah, so just one final push or one final, um, making the case for, for Burgundy, for someone who is the, um, you know, just getting into wine or just understanding, or even someone who has accumulated some Burgundy and not quite, you know, intimidated to open it or, or find the right moment to enjoy it. Like what is the takeaway about Burgundy? I wrote a blog post for, um, for my website where I was like, uh, you know, the maddening aspects of, of Burgundy collecting and how it just, I think they could just like, you know, consumes you because there's so many different vineyards and there's so many different, um, variables that, that 
take place in a given year in a given harvest across producers. Um, you know, we got one guy is using you know different toast of barrels and, and different vineyards and and uh, and changing it. You know, um, over the vintage, et cetera. So there's so many different like ways that the wine could be different and the wine could show differently. Um, for someone who wants to dive in but is not quite sure, or someone who is you know tasted one Burgundy and didn't quite get it, like. What is the big case, the overarching, um, you know, argument for Burgundy and its, you know, essential importance in the wine world? The the first thing, the and it's very basic thing is is that it's not as Burgundy isn't as confusing as it can seem. Like you said before, there's all the vineyards, there's all these other different things. To me, Burgundy, you have to remember, it's primarily two to three grapes. It's Pinot Noir for reds, Chardonnay for whites, or Aligote. But prim- primarily Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. So that's the easy part. So once you figure out that, okay, I like I like Chardonnay, I like Old World Chardonnay, I like uh, White Burgundy, or I like Pinot Noir, then you can then delve into it a little bit and then find the producers you like. And once again, it goes back to just tasting, drinking, having a bottle, exploring, and then finding what you like. And then from there, you'll find your different producers that you do and don't like. There's famous producers that I am not a fan of their wines uh, in Burgundy. And there's and then there's other producers that aren't as famous that are just, I find to be wonderful. Um, so it's like, it's kind of like finding, finding your balance by, by just trying and uh, exploring the region. And once again, like I said, you know, do you like wines from Givry or wines from Pomar? Because they're vastly different. Those two wines are vastly, di- or those two regions, villages are vastly different um, from each other. Um, you know, so that's- I think the, that what you're saying kind of also uh, applies to, you know, people drinking other kinds of wine, people drinking whiskey, whatever. You have to be confident in your own, taste and not necessarily that someone else thinks this is better that's better like you know i found myself recently with um with whiskey and some other wines and just really gravitating to some really simple but well-made you know product that is not expensive and you know the stuff that um is expensive or is very popular like just tasting it and just kind of saying like you know I, i get why people like this but it's just not for me um, so you, you have to have that confidence in, um, in your own taste. And, um, I think also people don't give themselves an opportunity to, um, you know, have a palate shift, you know, where you like something and then you maybe kind of move away from it. Um, you know, I, I have a bunch of wine in my cellar that I'll taste and be like, I just don't, I just don't like this anymore. I just, I'm not into this anymore. I don't, I don't see myself drinking this so much anymore. Like you, but you have to be confident and you have to be comfortable. Um, and, and that open-mindedness, I think is essential for, um, for any wine tasting or, you know, food pairing or whatever. No, I would agree with that. Yeah. No, it's the only way you're going to explore or the only way you're going to find out what you like is by exploring. Yeah. By exploring what, whether it be pairings or whether it be, you know, different wine regions. Um, another thing is there's um, no affiliation, but the Inside Burgundy book from Japs for Morris uh, is a great, um, uh, it's a great tool. 
to be able to learn about the area as well. He does a wonderful job breaking down um, the different villages, vineyards, winemakers, and so forth. So that's if you're somebody that wants to research, uh, that would be one of the books that I would uh, highly recommend. Awesome. Um, thanks so much for coming on. It was a great chat. And so uh, looking forward to bigger and better things uh, from you guys from uh, for Burgundy. Maybe we'll get together and make a kosher Burgundy one day. That sounds great. Looking forward to it. <laughs> awesome. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Kosher Sommelier Podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram where you can be part of the Kosher Sommelier community. That's Kosher, S-O-M-M. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.